Hello again, everybody. This is the Cool Button Uncensored Hockey Podcast, Season 1, Episode 5. The season is underway, Mr. Craig Button. You are Craig. I am Steve. And you know what? There's just something special of the start of the hockey season. Although, Craig, you win, you lose, and all of a sudden, chicken little, the sky is falling in Tampa. The Penguins are going to win the cup again. Yetta, yetta, yetta. Where are you on managing early wins and losses and expectations? A wise man, you, once told me you have to manage expectations from the fans, ownership, and everyone in between. Where are we on the highs and the lows? Well, what I would say about uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, really, there's anybody concerned about the Tampa Bay Lightning? I mean, it looked like they were still in preseason form and the Pittsburgh Penguins without Crosby. Malkin, Gensel, they really took it to the Tampa Bay Lightning. So full marks to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Does it does it mean anything other than two points for the Penguins in the standings? Not really. I, I look at this real simply. I look at the beginning of the season as, as where you want to get off to a good start. And you want to start putting points on the board. As it relates to Tampa Bay, not a big deal. Other teams don't have the same luxury, Steve, because as we know in the league, it parity – it's a it's a real tight league so you know you can't just say oh well you know let's get our feet wet here for two weeks you don't put points on the board you're chasing them later and nobody wants to be in chase mode so you know I don't think there's any reason for uh, concern you know in the first two three games but you can't let things slip if you start to let things slip uh, you're going to have a tougher time catching up to uh, to it, and that no no team, no coach wants to be there. Do you think in the early, early, early signs, the one thing that we did legitimately talk about with Tampa was the loss of a group of players, especially their third line, that they still have the top two lines, and that's great. They got their goalie and they got their defense, but they have to resurrect a different looking third line and. Maybe they're just not as deep and not as good as it relates to last year's team. Does it mean they'll drop? Does the third line have to take on a new feel? Because Corey Perry started and then moved down. And in my mind, I said, you know what? If that third line was there and somebody told me, but they're not. And they know they're not. If ifs and buts, but maybe Corey Perry's not a third liner. Maybe Ross Colton is better suited on the fourth line. So maybe there's an early sign of, okay, what are we going to do there? Taylor Radish, is, is he going to move up? I just thought it was intriguing how the lifeblood at times in the playoffs was gone, and it showed, yes, for only 60 minutes, though. I mean, okay, so who played good for the Tampa Bay Lightning? Nobody. Name, name, me, name me who played who played well. Nobody. Like, you want to come out and play with that level of what I would call dispassionate engagement? <laughs> That's why I said they were in preseason form. It was they, they, there was no engagement. There was no passionate engagement by the Tampa Bay Lightning, and you know what? Yanni Gord wasn't going to be playing anyway if he was still in Tampa because of the shoulder surgery. So you know he he, he wasn't available there. So when we look at it and everything, you can't if, if every if the players aren't going to bring that engagement. And I think John Cooper standing watching him behind behind the bench. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going like you know. He tried to push it a little bit by pulling the goalie, but all in all, I think a coach knows when his team doesn't have it and his team didn't have it. So I don't think it had anything to do with the third line. I think it has a lot to do. Uh, uh, the third line that in this case has a lot to do with, it's going to be a work in progress. It's going to be different looking. 
It can't be. If you're going to try to just take three players and say, play like Goodrow Coleman and, and Gord, good luck. You know what? It's, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a football analogy. And John Harbaugh, who's an excellent coach with the Baltimore Ravens, he had Joe Flacco. He had Joe Flacco as his quarterback, straight drop back quarterback. He won a Super Bowl. Won a Super Bowl. Well, he didn't have Joe Flacco anymore. And he got this wonderful player, Lamar Jackson. I can tell you what, the offensive scheme is not the same with Lamar Jackson as it was for Joe Flacco. And John Harbaugh said, if I ran the same offense uh, that I ran for Joe Flacco with Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson wouldn't be very good. And he said, if I ran the same offense for Joe Flacco that I run for Lamar Jackson, it wouldn't be very good for Joe Flacco. You have to adjust. John Cooper's going to adjust here. I think one of the biggest things for me, we, everybody better stop talking about the third line. It's going to be a different third line. John Cooper's really creative. He's exceptionally smart. He's going to work and see how it looks. Corey Perry's a fourth-line player. That's what he is. Okay? Like, he's not a third-line player. He's a fourth-line player. There's going to be nights he's not going to be – you're going to scratch him. Corey Perry knows it. He he was scratched last year. He needs to play at a certain level of minutes to be at his best. That's where he's at. Corey, at his age, clearly is – not the same caliber as Ovi at his age of 36. So he passes Marcel Dion. He's 162 now behind Wayne Gretzky. The easy math is 40 or 41. Ovi breaks Gretzky's record. Gretzky was talking to Ovi on TNT last night. It's a sexy story. Will it be Hank Aaron-like? Not to us, because we're going to watch and love it anyway. Will it gather international attention as we get into the 800s and clearly Ovi's game one performance, I thought was an example of the Russian tank still has it. He's good making commercials. He's good at shooting the puck. And that second goal was a thing of beauty. We all decline. Unfortunately, Craig, when we hit 30, some decline quicker than others, but those who might've thought that Ovi was going to be in the 20 plus goal club. I'd like to think for what I saw early, and from what I saw from the Capitals is they're not ready to have that wheel turn just yet. I, I really liked, I really liked the body language and some of the other things I saw from Ovi. So 36 and he might score his age this year, Mr. Button. you're making a face. Is that face yay or nay from what I just he, said? He, last year he was on a 44 goal pace. Who is they that's talking about him dipping to 20? Who is they? I want to know who they is because I'm not buying. And, you know, early in the season, you know, it's always a great time. Let's have some fun because it's a great time to have fun with this. You know, uh, right now, uh, two goals in his first game last night, Alexander Ovechkin's on 164 goal pace. So if I he thought does we were that, mention that. I thought we weren't going to mention these. No, 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 I yeah, but he, but but hey, listen, we are going to mention it because on a 164 goal pace, he ties Gretzky this year. <laughs> He'll be 36 if he stays on this pace. Come on, like like there's a there's a math that works there that's funny. And for Alexander Ovechkin, you know, I just talked about football. Does anybody watch Tom Brady? Tom Brady threw five touchdowns. In his last game. Anybody watching? Did anybody watch Nick Lidstrom win a Norris at 40? There's exceptions to rules and to, and to the age thing. Alexander Ovechkin is clearly one of those exceptions. He is clearly one of those exceptions. 
36 like just watch him play it's the same thing i hear steve oh he's 36 okay watch is there a decline is he not shooting the puck like he once did is he getting hurt is he getting dinged up is he not getting to the right spots <laughs> like you know like that's what you watch for it's the same thing i hear all oh look at like oh yeah he's not that tall yeah i don't care would you watch him he has the puck all night long right like at the end of the day at any game alexander ovechkin is in my view going to break gretzky's record okay all he's going to do is like if he averages 30 over the next five years he's going to break it and that that's a big drop averaging 30 for Ovi. 20 they say 20 they they not buying not buying this guy's elite when you're talking about a record we're talking about a record that quite frankly who thought it could ever be broken not you no nope. not me not anybody nope. and i think it'll be broken and you don't think there's not going to be a lot of attention uh, around that record yeah it is is it going to be henry aaron's i don't think so because it was a different uh, type of uh, focus around Henry Aaron, you know, because of, you know, ready to break Babe Ruth's record. Wayne Gretzky is, 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 is a well-known <laughs> sports star internationally. This will have lots of play. So he's going to break it because he's going to play until he breaks it. You talk about Lidstrom at 40 and a Norris Trophy. Char is still going now. Char, and, see, but Chara's dropped, Steve. See, Char, you talk about Chara. Chara's a, a bottom pair defenseman. No, but I mean, talk if, about, Ovi had to be, if Ovi had to go till he's 44 and score 20 then to get to 895, I say that he would. That's at 44. What I'm saying is we still have Ovi at 36, 37, 38, 39, 40. And if he's in the neighborhood, 41, 42, if he has to, that's what I mean. Like, yes, Chara's dropped. But even if Ovi does drop from where he is, and slides down, it can still be a top six, top nine. I'm saying that he'll still stick around till he breaks it. He'll do it before he's 44. And I think Ovi will not watch himself decline that late in his career, but he'll be at 41, 42, Craig. He'll be in and around the mark if he hasn't said it already. I, I think our argument here or debate is not about Willie. It's is when Willie do it as a, as a 40, 39, 40, 41 year old. I think that's our time frame. And hey, the four points, the, I just think that sometimes, remember, he was supposed to be banged up. He was a game time decision. And then he goes out and does that. He's mic'd up and he talks to Wayne. I just, I just love feel good stories. And in a hockey basement, we watched the game and somebody said, You love Obi? And I said, Who doesn't love Obi? He started by wearing, remember when you had the black hat on? And somewhere it changed, Craig. Like, you can't say when it started. Sydney was the golden child. Ovi was the villain. And somewhere along the way, everyone started to love Ovi as well. Not just, you know, in Washington. I'm saying everywhere else, people went, yeah. And I'm cheering for him. I think people are just cheering for him, and they like him, and they, they just can't still stop him when he's sitting in that circle. And I think that would, that's what makes it fun. And he's a character. He is a character. They played some of his old commercials uh, with Sydney. They played his new one there with his wife and Nick Backstrom on the life insurance policy. He's good for the game. He's good for the game on and off the ice. Alex Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby entered the league coming out of the lockout in 0405. For 16 years, they have been nothing short of brilliant. Nothing short of brilliant. The faces of the National Hockey League for 16 years at a level, at a level of accomplishment that puts them amongst the very best players that have ever played the game. 
certainly top 10 for both of them, in my view, right? So just think about the two players, your league is coming out of a year long lockout where there was no games. And you got these two, you talk about, we talk about young players, two young players coming into the game, lots of hullabaloo around Crosby and Ovechkin, never disappointed. They have never disappointed. And they still are accomplished top players in the game. Still 16 years in, you talk about greatness. It's greatness in every single regard. Anybody that's not a fan of Alexander Ovechkin, you know what? Just go into a dark room and yell at yourself how that, that, that you're not a fan because nobody else wants to hear it. Did you see Colby Armstrong get Sydney and Ovi together? And they don't get together too often. And at the very end, Ovi said that when it's all over, we'll go for a beer and, and we'll talk. We'll be old men by then. And I thought it was interesting, the dynamics. I still think there's that competitive juice even now going into year 17. I mean, they don't hug each other, right? They're not like you talk about other sports that, you know, when the game's over, you know, in, in football and basketball, there's a, there's, a, there's a love in. We only shake hands at the end of a playoff series because at that point you've left it all out on the line. Sydney was already sitting in the chair and Obi walked in. I, you know, you look at body language. It was, yeah, we're doing this, but we're, Maybe later, but right now it's still the Hatfields and the McCoys. And I love that. Like, I, I love that how it burns and it's not like we've been privileged to be able to watch it this long and it isn't over. Like, you know, 36 and 34 isn't 46 and 44. So whether it's three more elite years or whatever, um, I love the dynamic. I love people said only Kobe Armstrong can kind of bring them together and, and watching it. It was neat, Craig. Like it was good. And Ovi opening up the olive branch of, you know, we'll be buddy, buddy when it's all said and done. I loved it. I think it's uh, it's a great chapter in hockey history. Well, well it is. Uh, it, it's it, it's one that people look back on as one of the greatest chapters in NHL history with these two players. You know, one of the things that, that you know, we talk about Wayne Gretzky and Mayor Lemieux, and certainly they didn't play against each other very much. You know, the Penguins and the Washington Capitals who were, who were basement dwellers when the two players came into the league, you know, and, and their, their teams rose up because of the brilliance of, of Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin. But I go back to Lemieux and Gretzky, you know, one of the things, you know, they weren't buddy, buddy, but you know, when you play together and represent your national team, it becomes a bond. Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin, because they're from different countries, Never had that opportunity. They never had that opportunity to see one another in in in, in a different light as, as teammates. And, 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 you know, that's where Gretzky and Lemieux had that opportunity, right? Like you talk to players that played back in the, in the, in the seventies and the eighties, and they talk, talk about playing against Dennis Potvin. They hated playing against Dennis Bava. They hated playing against Bobby Clark, right? But, when they had a chance to play together on those team candidates, they, they, they had a greater appreciation for having them on their team. And, I, and certainly Sydney and, and Alex have an appreciation for one for each other's talents, but they've never been able to just, you know, wear the same sweater internationally for their countries. And that's another factor that creates this, Hey, when we're older, we'll have a beer, but now's not the time because you know, they're, they're, they're fiercely competing not only in the national hockey league, but on the international stage as well. And that's a great point. That's a, that's a great way to end the, the 87, eight topic because the hate on started in North Dakota 
and it's gone from 05 to 2010 to 2014, you know, in the commercial, Ovechkin, Crosby says. But in real life, Sydney says Ovi, with those major international losses, head to head to head. I mean, the Vancouver-Russia-Canada game was something special. Sydney scores another goal in 2014 that was big. They win again in 2016. So you're right. They're, it wasn't as if they hate each other on the ice, but they're, you know, they're both from you know, Saskatchewan. And then they get together in Team Canada. It's like, yeah, yeah. Okay, now let's go back to our regular jobs. Kind of like the, uh, wasn't the coyote and the, 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 you know, the cartoon. <laughs> okay, Frank, we punch in, we go to work. I try to steal the sheep and you try to guard them and away we go and it's all over. They've been nemesis right from the beginning. And I think that, I think adding the international flavor is added to the hatred or the competitiveness. And, and you're right, that's a great point to big up uh, to bring up because with Gretzky and Lemieux, at least they got together in 87 and Wayne kind of put his arm around Mario and kind of helped him and Mario, his career just took off after that and, and they didn't see each other. They never, ever, ever met, right? Oilers and Penguins ever met. Oh, it'd have been great if they met in the cup final, right? The year after, but it, it, it wasn't meant to be, Craig. No, it wasn't. And so what we have to look at is uh, you talk about an era, a chapter, whatever you want. It's one of the greatest, one of the greatest. And for the NHL, if you wanted to try to come out of a lockout and say, this is our new era post-lockout, and you wanted to plan it, they couldn't have planned it better than the way it turned out. Because keep in mind, you know, Pittsburgh ends up winning the lottery. Uh, Washington ended up winning the lottery to get Ovechkin, two franchises. They didn't just get the, they just, they didn't just win the lottery to get the first pick. They won the lottery in the absolute right years to win the lottery. You know, <laughs> let's keep that in mind too. Like, you know, you want to talk about the stars being aligned for the superstars. They were. Yeah, if you win the Powerball, it'd be great you win two or three million, but the year you win it when there's 480 million, it's a big difference, right? So speaking of lotteries and picks and future, we have three 2001 first round picks in Mason McTavish, what a start for him. William Eklund, who looked good in the preseason, but Craig, who doesn't? If you, if you don't look good in the preseason, how are you going to play in the, in the real season? And Cole Sillinger, of the many things I love about you is your expertise of the young players because you've been there, done that. You've been in the cold rinks. You've drank the bad coffee. You've analyzed. You've looked. You, you can relate years and years and years. So where are you on these guys? Are they, are they nine gamers? Are they real gamers? And, you know, rushing the green tomato. Now, it looks good for Mason McTavish because he scored and had a, a two-point NHL debut, but aren't they all 18? They're all... I see the birth date 03 and I think too early for me, but it's not my decision. How do you feel? Well, you know, William Eklund is, is, is a, is a late 2002, which put him into this previous year's draft. So he's going to turn 19. He played in the SHL last year. And so he's got pro experience and the, and the SHL in Sweden is a very good league. And, you know, when you can acquit yourself in that league at the level that he did, when you're when you're going to turn 19, and so you got a little more maturity, uh, you know, coming into the National Hockey League, I, I think that's a little bit of an addition. So like so like I'm going to take Eklund, and I'm just going to kind of put him over here on the side a little bit. Okay. You know, it, the league's hard, Steve, and you know that. And you know when you talk about uh, you know 
nine games, eight games. You have to play well in the preseason to make a team. I mean, you know, what team says, you know what, he just didn't play well in the preseason, but we're going to keep him. And and quite frankly, Mason McTavish didn't get a chance to play very much in the preseason. He got hurt in a rookie rookie tournament. He came in. But I think where they look at Mason to start with, who had a goal and an assist, don't be too quick to, you know, say he's an NHLer now. He was really good. You don't end up being the third overall pick by accident. But, you know, he, he's a little bit bigger. He's a little bit more physically mature. He played in uh, Swiss last year for uh, Switzerland for a stretch last year. So he's got a little feel for pro experience, right? So, you know, you come in, you evaluate, you see where he's at. He's a competitor. You got some other young players around him. So I think that it is a wait and see. But, you know, you do have the opportunity now to, to take that approach. And if, if after nine games, which is when uh, 10 games, your entry-level contract uh, kicks in, you know, if it looks like they're struggling, you know what? You can send them back. Uh, and, and if they look like they're holding their own, you can do that. The league is about young players, Steve. We see young players come into the game and be really good. Cole Sillinger's in Columbus. He's a really smart player. He's got the benefit of his dad. <laughs> and, you know, like another like, – so when I look at these three players, you know, and, and Mason's dad, Dale, you know, you know, played on the national team, had a little bit of a cup of coffee in the National Hockey League. Like, they all benefit from different experiences that land them here right now. But I think that for the teams, and keep in mind, all the teams that we just mentioned, they're not very good. And, and that's another thing. So you're not just looking at how the player can fit in and play and hold his own. You're also looking at like, you know, do we have a team that can support them? Let's wait and see, you know, until they show they can't, why not say they can? <laughs> that's my view on it. And then like you mentioned the green tomato, right? I, I'm of a belief, more patience, you know, give them a little bit more seasoning, but early on in the year, like, like I'm okay with it. You know, you know where I'm not okay with it. I'll tell you when I'm not okay with it is when you end up with a Barrett Hayton situation where now they're playing games. He clearly shows he can't be in the NHL. And now they're playing the game. Well, we'll send him down for conditioning. We won't send him. Now he doesn't play. Now he doesn't get a chance to play. Like I am 100% against that. And where's Barrett Hayton now? Oh, they were really, oh, they were really high on him. Like, you know, bring him up and put him there. He's, he's but one example. And if, if any young player ends up in that situation, you can count on it, Steve. You know what's going to happen? What? I'm going to call out those teams. Well, I, I look at Yessi Pugliarvi, and now he's a player. Oh, perfect and, example. Okay, so why not everyone is ready at 18, and I see these guys, and, you know, I've got you on one shoulder here talking about drafting and development, and then, you know, I know the teams or the presidents, they want to sell and push guys, and this is our future. And then I see guys that I feel like Yessi Pugliarvi that – clearly weren't ready and he's gone from being a prospect to a suspect now to a main cog in the oiler machine but he wasn't ready before craig and 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 this is where the fine line of being ready now um or being ready in the future there's a big difference from 18 19 and 22 isn't there like that's a big difference Lemieux, Gretzky, McDavid are different examples. I'm talking about McTavish and Eklund. And yeah, I see Drysdale. I'm excited. I see Zegris. You know, it's 19 and then 20. Even 20s. Uh, you want to be a centerman in this league, go up against the others hard to play. Like Zegris going up against Ryan O'Reilly and Shifley. And 
that's going to be tough, even with all that skill set. So he's going to go through it as a, as a green tomato who's got more red in him than some of the other guys. It's that balance. I'm, I don't have the answer. I just watch. And in watching sometimes, no, no, you know, to play a whole, even Joe Thornton, what do you play 55 games in his rookie year with three goals forces and, and Pat Burns sat him in the press box and said, he's too good for junior. He's not ready for the NHL. It's fascinating to me to watch the developmental curve of so many of these young players. Well, it is fascinating. And, and the word development is a key, key uh, word to use here. So, you know, I just talked about Mason McTavish. I talked about William Eklund and I talked about Cole Sillinger and their backgrounds. Yes, he Puliarvi is from Northern Finland. He's not from Helsinki. He's from Northern Finland. Okay. And like, I, like I've been to Oulu. Like I've, I've been up there. Okay. Like it, it's like going to Churchill, Manitoba. Okay. So you're looking now at a young player that not like, okay, you're the fourth overall pick. We know you're good, but now culturally, now you got to come into the league and culturally you got to fit in. I'm going to tell you a story about a young player we drafted from Russia, Steve. And he was a really good player. And he, he was in Kalamazoo, and, and we were down there. Bob Gainey and I were down there early on in the season, and we're, him, we, we had him and Brendan Morrill. We went down and spent some time with them. I'm telling you, if we handed the player, uh, the player's name was Roman Lyashenko. If we handed him a plane ticket, he was going to go home. He was from Murmansk, Russia. I was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Steve. And, you know, he, he was completely homesick, you know, never been over here and was sitting there and trying to think, well, where I, I had a, uh, a friend of ours that did a lot of translation services uh, for, for players with communications for all the different players from around the world. So I, her, her husband was Yuri and I phoned, I got back and I said, I said, does Yuri know any uh, like Russian places that, that I can get some food? I need some Russian food. I need some Russian food like fast. She said, oh, yeah. So we, I got a big pail of borscht, some palmini and some Russian desserts and everything. And I went down there a couple of days later, and I gave it to them. So they're coming to play in Detroit, and I get a call. Can, can, can you get uh, these people to come to the game? That, you know, that's a request from Roman. I said, sure. So they come to the game. Roman's there. He sees everybody. He's hugging them. They're hugging him. They're speaking Russian and everything. You know, Roman, it was a pail of borscht. He said he went home and ate half of it the one night and the other half the next day. Ate the palmini. The, watching him relate and trying to get him comfortable in, in this absolutely brand new uh, environment. Yeah. He was, call, he was called up a couple of weeks later and never turned back. I'm telling you, when you see a kid and you see how homesick, they're committed to playing hockey. They want to be at their best. There's a lot of things. And that's what happened with Jesse Pugliarvi. And I give Ken Holland and Jesse Pugliarvi massive amounts of credit for taking a step back and saying, here's what we're doing. Can't you not understand where Jesse Pugliarvi felt failed? Because he was failed. He was right. failed fully and completely. Ken Holland says, wait a second here. I'm going to do that. Convince. Look, you're talking about a main cog. I have no doubt that Jesse Pugliarvi is going to score 25 goals this year in the National Hockey League. Wasn't the plan going into the year to McDavid and Dreisaitl on separate lines and now they're on the same line? Is this an experiment? Uh, I get it three on three. I get it on the power play. I get it late in the game and putting them together. I thought Hyman, McDavid, and Pugliarvi was going to lead to Yamamoto, Dreisaitl, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, but this was the two lines moving forward, which I like a lot. And 
you know, they won, they, you know, all that kind of stuff. Do you like to keep them separated or do you like to play them together? So as we watch the season, you know, in its infancy kind of unfold, I, you know, I try to play amateur coach and, and see what's better for the Oilers. And I'm not saying I have the answer, but I thought it worked better keeping them separated. No, I just heard something that I never thought I, I would hear. What? You said, I don't have the answer. You, you have the <laughs> I don't. I don't have the answer. Wow. There's lots of things revealing about this podcast. Steve does not have the answer. I don't know everything, folks. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? Can it not be both, Steve? Can it not be both play them together and not play them together? Why, why does it, it, it have could to be? be. Why, no, why does it have to be one or the other? Why does it? Why, why do we have to have it? Like you know, the players are smart. The players are good. The oppositions are different. When a coach, in this case, Dave Tippett, has options depending on who they're playing against, right? And you you look and go, well, this is the night I can play them together, and and you know I'm not going to run myself thin. Why can he do that now? I'll tell you why he can do that now, and he can do it comfortably when they were playing together before it was like, I got to throw all my eggs in this basket because you know what? I don't, I don't have any other eggs, right? I'd like to make a three egg omelet. I can only make a two egg omelet. <laughs> so now he, he's, he's going right. Well, you have Zach Hyman, you have Warren Fogel, you know, you have Jesse Pugliarvi. Those three players were not there a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right they're, they're not there so now Ryan Nugent Hopkins is playing left wing you're moving dry side you're trying to split it all up you're putting square pegs in round holes the days of round pegs and, and square pegs and round holes is is over and now as a coach you're looking and going oh look I can do this now I can put Ryan Nugent Hopkins in the middle what a luxury Ryan can play on the penalty kill the power play he can play left wing you can play center you got Fogel you got Hyman you got Pugliar you got Yamamoto like like as a coach and now you're playing Vancouver last night, whose right side defense is, oh, yeah, terrible. <laughs> and, well, hey, Leon, have at her. Isn't that the matchup you want? What happens when you get a faster receiver going, a slower or a rookie cornerback in the NFL? You know what the quarterback does? You know what Tom yeah. Brady does? We're picking on you. Touchdown. Why don't NHL coaches put more flexibility in their, in, in their lines and more flexibility in their game plans? NHL coaches are too rigid. Too rigid. Hockey's too rigid. You know what hockey's like? It's like old-time British soccer. You know, rigid. Bulldog soccer. You know why England hasn't won any major tournament for years? They're too rigid. The Spaniards are playing with flair and creativity. The Italians are fiercely defensive. Brazil, Argentina, you know, they got, they got this imagination. And, and you got the, the English. They're, they're just going to bowl. They're just going to bowl their way ahead. There's many different ways to be right, Steve. And you look at the NFL. I'm a huge NFL fan. And when I watch the NFL and I see the creativity of coaches trying different things and everything that goes with it, I don't see that in hockey. I don't see it in hockey. You know, Yuko Yalanen, who won the World Junior Championship in 2016 with Pooley RV on that team, Aho, I mean, Rupa Hints, you know, Lion A, Rantanen. He had two different power plays. Two different power plays, Steve. Why don't we have two different power plays? Anyway, this is no, it's a good, this is a rant a for a rant. different. It's a different rant. It's a rant for a different day. So when you ask me, 
You can play them together. You can play them apart. All I know is Dave Tippett has options now. He has good options. And he doesn't leave himself vulnerable. And he can fully, uh, he can try to fully exploit the opponent with these options. That's what I want to see. Go after them. You're weak. We're putting it. Defend them. Go ahead. That's a great rant. I love rants. Um, I'm, I'm a king. I'm the king of the rant. So <laughs> you just went on one. And I agree. And I look, I just say I watched last night and there were times Tavares, Nylander, Marner. They weren't supposed to be on the same line. They weren't. But at times he stacked them. Right. At times he broke the British rigidness. He made a move. And I think that what you talked about. I love outside the box thinking. We talk about outside the box all the time. Whoever invented the one three one, you know, was it a tier two league in Switzerland? And then it was copied and brought to North America. Now every team in the league plays a one three one with four forwards and, and one defense. So somebody had to come up with it and then people copied it. Who will be the next innovator of changing the power play or a, a different penalty kill? You know, we talked about the Swedes and the torpedo in 2002 and people talked about it. What is this? I guess it didn't last, but try it. And the McDavid dry sidle answer by you is great. There'll be times we want exploits the other team's weakness. There's times that we believe we want them down the middle and life is about options. One option that did not exist last year in Colorado was having Nazem Kadri in the playoffs after his big hit on Justin Falk last night is a small little sample size. The example of what he can be behind McKinnon McKinnon is in the lineup. Uh, and he wasn't last night, was that's the cadre, the second-line player. Haven't we had chats about Iserman? Then he needed Fedorov. Haven't we had chats about Medano, and you guys went out and got Joe Newendike? What did Newendike do for Medano? What did Fedorov do for Iserman? The one-two punches in our sport that make it special. So you can't just check McDavid because there's Dreisaitl if you're keeping them separated. Kadri is an example the passion, the skill, the deflection, the going to the net without going over the line. And if Colorado is going to be there in April, May, June, it's got to be 29 and 91. Kadri's got to do for McKinnon what Fedorov and Neuendijk did for Medano and Eisman. Do you buy that mini rant, Craig? Well, uh- I think Nazem Kadri is a really good player. And I, I think Nazem Kadri uh, brings different qualities to the game that, that help your team in so many different areas. And he's smart. He's competitive. He, he's got skill. And, you know, he, he, he really is a dyed-in-the-wool competitor. He really is. So, you know, we, we, we saw, you know, last year was the third time you know, for Nazem Kadri. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, you, you can look at it. I thought when he was with Toronto and they went in against Boston, I thought one, two, three up the ice, Matthews, Tavares, Kadri, that there was no way Boston could match it. And then Toronto lost it. And now you got a little bit more level playing field. It went seven games. I think with Kadri, they win that series. And, that, and probably the narrative changes in Toronto about can you win with this team? So, you know, we can talk about, you know, what's happened with, with, with Kadri bottom line is, is that he's a player that, that makes your team better. He's a team that makes opponents uncomfortable, not because of his, you know, going over the line and being suspended because he plays hard and he gets in there and he knows how to unsettle you. And, 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 and at the same time, he's always looking for those advantages. And when you look for advantages and, and you can exploit them, you're going to do that. So it gives you a different look. If you're Jared Bednar, you got a different look. And there's no question that now 
when Nazem Kadri goes out of the lineup, now team can just focus in on Nathan McKinnon. We can put all our focus in on stopping Nathan McKinnon. So when you ask me about Fedorov to Eiserman, Neuendijk to Madano, right? Forsberg to Sackick, whatever, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how are you gonna how are you gonna focus in on one when any? And I just named six players, you know, from 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 Colorado, Detroit, and Dallas Stars days, right? Okay, you're gonna focus in on one. The other guy's gonna beat you. You, you got four. I, I love to tell this story and talk about flexibility. And Scotty Bowman's coaching the Detroit Red Wings. We're playing St. Louis in a playoff series, and I the series I believe was two one. Anyway, uh, for the pivotal fourth game, right? Pronger and McInnes are on the ice, one or the other, all the time, right? Yep. So yeah. you, you have Eiserman's line, you have Federos line. So tight game. Scotty throws out Shanahan or he, Shanahan on the left wing, puts Federoff in the middle and throws Eiserman on the right wing. I go, oh, this is interesting. Well, who comes out? Who who came out? I'll tell you who came out. Forty-four and two. Chris Pronger and uh, Al McInnes. Okay, great. It's a soft, right? Well, you know who came out and ended up scoring a goal and allowed. Detroit to go up three games to one. He comes out with Vyacheslav Kozlov, Igor Larionov, and Dougie Brown. Because the matchup against the next pair of defensemen. <laughs> set him so up. Good. He, he yeah. set him up. Oh, he did. Right? And, you know, you're watching and watching. And, Steve, you, you, you pay such great and close attention to schemes and what's going on. So, I know we can talk about this, uh, you know, in depth uh, in future episodes. Because you are. You're, you're astute. So astute. Tell you what, when when you when you can put your team in different possession positions to take advantage of opportunities, that's what Kadri does for McKinnon, and that's what those great duos in Detroit, Colorado, and Dallas did as well. And Kuznetsov for Backstrom, right? Like you know, go back and look at that in, in Washington. You know, the emergence of Evgeny Kuznetsov. You know, all of a sudden now, okay, you can't just stop Nick Backstrom. You got to pay attention to Kuznetsov, and it's uh. It's, it really is a blueprint. It's a blueprint for success. And it's easier said than done, but really important. Yeah, and you know what 87 and 71 have done. And, you know, when Kuznetsov and Backstrom are doing their thing in Washington, they don't have that in Vegas. And as good as Chandler Stevenson played in the opener, and we've talked about Carlson in that line, you know, it'll be a – it's kicking the can down the – it's a, it, I, I have to believe. I, I do, and unless the wingers are that strong, it'll be a future problem for Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee and Peter DeBoer. I, 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 Cause when you get late and you're up against those centers, like who's left standing, they're going to be there. I, I, I have to believe it cause it's part of the game of hockey. So that'll be really intriguing. It, you know, can you, can you be carried by your wingers when up the middle, Craig, who do we just mention? Sackick and Forsberg and Federoff and New Like we're talking about those guys. I, I just don't see that there. They'll be the exception if Vegas does it with these two, in, in my opinion. So what happened when they got up against Montreal? The Vegas Golden Knights. That, that, that fearsome foursome, I'll call them. You know, you know Weber and Sherratt and Petrie and Edmondson. What happened? They couldn't, they couldn't get, they, they couldn't score. They couldn't nope. get where, it need, where they needed to score because now they're being defended hard. Hard by really good players. Sorry. It, uh, you know, who, who you're betting on? You're betting on the Montreal fearsome foursome or you're betting on Chandler Stevenson and, uh, and William Carlson? I know who I'm betting on. Just like I bet on Matt Pachuk and Hatcher and Sador and Zuboff <laughs> and Ludwig and Chambers. <laughs> That's who I'm betting on. Go look at those Detroit teams. Go look at the, the, the uh, you know, with their defense and the New Jersey teams. Yeah. Tell me who you're betting on if you don't have 
uh, those good players. Yeah. Naz is a good player. He's an important player. And he can make a big difference for the Colorado Avalanche's uh, quest for a cup. Yeah, he's just got to play. He's got to play. He's got to stay. Uh, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. Don't make it straight four, Nas. Don't make it straight four. Be there at the end to make it an exciting, thrilling playoff if you're an Avalanche fan. That's it, Craig. We're out of time. Take us home, baby. Take us home. I have no words. Time flies. <laughs> but <laughs> as we fly away <laughs> with the time, it's the cool button uncensored podcast episode five we're done for today join us next monday october the 18th